and welcome back to Youth Group Radio, the place where we are all young in the eyes of eternal God, the place where you don't have to be a youth to be part of it, but I do hope it can be a place where you grew. Today we are continuing our study, going through the Gospel of John. This is part 21 of our John study, and we are starting today where we left off in John chapter 7, verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who has sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Let's pray. Lord, your will be done on a personal level, on a psychological level, on a spiritual level, Lord, on a community level. Your will be done nationally. Your your will be done internationally, interstellarly, Lord. Your will be done all across the universe. Let it be so, right here and right now. Teach us your ways. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I wonder how many of my listeners speak Turkish. I would guess probably none of you. But why not? Maybe, you mean, pretty obvious reasons. You weren't born there. You never lived there. Why haven't you learned it? Why haven't you learned, and just so you know, I don't know it either. Why haven't we learned to speak Turkish? Well, I suppose it's because none of us ever really saw the importance of learning it. And I don't, I don't mean that in an offensive way. It's just there's never been a time in my life when I needed to learn Turkish. I haven't lived there. I don't really know people who speak it. You never felt the urge to learn this kind of obscure language. Well, during college one year, one of my best friends ended up learning Turkish to the point where he could read it speak it, and listen to it with pretty um, impressive ease. And it only took him like three months. It was like he became an expert overnight. And so the question we must ask is, why? Why did he do that? Well, there was a girl. (laughs) There was a girl at our school. And my friend, um, as far as he was concerned, he fell in love with her. 
and considered her the love of his life. And she was all he could think about, and he was determined to impress her and also to meet her where she's at and show her that that maybe he could be the love of her life. And here's the thing about this girl. She was an international student from Cyprus. She spoke um, a good English. It was a little bit broken, but it was, it was a good English. But her native language was Turkish. And now you begin to understand why it took my friend only three months to learn the language. He was in love. It wasn't three months of him practicing the language for an hour every day. No, it was three months of sleepless nights, spending 10, 12, 15 hours at a time. Nothing was going to stop him from learning this language. Because for the first time in his life, he found himself truly wanting to learn Turkish. You see, he would have never learned the language unless he wanted to learn the language. Now, sometimes we say that we want to do something, but we don't really mean it. Oh, I really want to learn how to play an instrument, but then they never practice. I really want to start running every day, but that doesn't last after day one. I really want to insert whatever it is you say or I say that we want to do, but it still isn't happening. If we truly want to do something, we do it. I think often in those cases, we want the result. We want the result of running every day. We want the result of you know being able to play a cool instrument or whatever it might be, but we don't really want to do the process that we say, oh, I, I want to do this every day. We don't want to do the process. We just want the result, right? In our passage today, Jesus has privately traveled up to the big festival of shelters, the festival of booths in Jerusalem. And when he gets there, it turns out that all the people in the crowds were talking about Jesus. They were saying, where is the guy? The main people asking that question were the Jewish leaders who were wanting to kill him. But then the rest of the crowd began to answer that question of who is Jesus. Some people said, he's a really good man. But others said, no, he's just a fraud. He's deceiving everybody. But we learn in verse 13 that everyone was having this debate of who is Jesus quietly amongst themselves because they were afraid of making any of the religious leaders upset and getting in trouble for talking about this Jesus guy. But then Jesus finally makes an appearance at the festival. In verse 14, he goes up to the temple and he just begins to teach. And everyone who heard him was amazed. And they start to say, how is it that this man knows so much when, I mean, he hasn't even been properly trained? Again, they are assuming that they know the answer to who is Jesus. I mean, this guy's not even properly trained. How can this man know so much when he's unqualified and he's uneducated? Teachers in Judaism would normally have studied the law with one or more rabbis. 
they would have spent years perfecting their knowledge of the finer points of interpretation. Jesus had never attended such classes, and yet he obviously knew the scriptures extremely well and was able to expound them in a fresh and vivid way. Where had he got all that from? And then Jesus answers the question in verse 16. He says, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. You see that there's just the humbleness in his response. He doesn't defend himself. He just says, hey, this isn't even my teaching. It's his who sent me. And then in verse 17, Jesus reveals to us the central clue to this passage. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Hear me out. What Jesus is saying here is, if anyone wants, there's that word, want, if anyone wants to do God's will, they will know whether the teaching uh, which Jesus is giving comes from God or whether he is just making it up in order to boost his own position and his own reputation. If we want to do God's will, it becomes clear that Jesus really is from God. If you truly want to do God's will, you discover that the will of God is found fully in Jesus. But these religious leaders are approaching it the other way around. First, they want to weigh up Jesus' teachings, get some samples, and then they will decide for themselves whether or not he has been sent by God. And you know, that's a fine approach to take. It's a fine approach to say, well, let me first listen to the teachings of Jesus, and then I will decide whether or not he's from God. But the only way that approach works is if you are completely neutral is if you are completely unbiased. If you listen to Jesus with zero, and I mean zero predetermined ideas about who God is and about who Jesus is, then it'll work. But that, that's kind of impossible. It's impossible for us to, to come in so neutral. The Jewish leaders, they already have it in their minds that there are certain things which they do not want God to be saying. And so if Jesus starts saying those things, then they will automatically assume, well, this must not be from God. They will dismiss anything he is saying immediately, tune it out, and have it in their heads that they have Jesus and God all figured out. And unfortunately, people today do the same thing. They have it in their heads on just who God is. For many people, they think God is a hateful punisher. For other people, they think that God is an energy that just kind of goes with the flow. And others think everything else in between and outside. And so if Jesus starts saying things that go against who they think God is, then he must not be from God. And then there's people like me and maybe like you, church people. We still think that Jesus is from God, obviously. But 
we just ignore what he says and what he does, and we tend to pick and choose bits and pieces of him in order to support our own agenda. Really, we take bits and pieces of Jesus and we, and we make a little tiny Jesus collage and we ignore massive chunks of him in order for us to construct our own version of God that we are comfortable with. We tend to use Jesus. We want to use Jesus. We want to politicize Jesus. We want to criticize Jesus. We want to romanticize Jesus. But it seems like no one just wants to get to know Jesus. According to verse 17, maybe the reason people can't see that Jesus comes from God is because they've already closed their minds against who God truly is and what his will is truly is. So we have to ask ourselves, do we really want God's will? Or do we want our will? Do I just want my will? Is it just about my agenda? And it's easy for us to live life about our agendas. If you find yourself truly wanting God's will, and not your own, then the teachings of Jesus will be like a cool, fresh drink on a hot, humid summer afternoon. Once you stop wanting your way, once I stop wanting my way, and I start wanting God's way, I will begin to see that there is no bread but Jesus, who is the bread of life. Once I really begin to want God's way, I begin to see that Jesus truly is from God. I begin to see that he is more than my feel-good mascot who supports my worldview. And then listen to the last verse I read. Verse 18, one more time. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. You see, verse 18 sets the whole matter within a larger picture, as Jesus calls us to ask ourselves, Whose reputation is Jesus building up? His own or God's? If you remember from last week, we saw the brothers of Jesus trying to get Jesus to go impress everyone, to go build up his own reputation. They wanted him to appear in public as often as possible and become as famous as he could. But just look at the life of Jesus. He was never trying to boost his own reputation. I mean, how many times did he heal somebody or, or do something great for someone and then tell them, hey, don't tell anybody about this? <laughs> he never was trying to boost his own reputation. Otherwise, why would he do things that would constantly get him into trouble and provoke threats on his life? And then you look at that moment, that moment when Jesus goes to his death 
And he does it out of obedient love for God and self-giving love for his people. Someone who is trying to build up their reputation does not act in the way that Jesus did. So who is Jesus? You're never going to know unless you begin to truly want God's way more than your way. And when we get to that place, when you get to that place, you begin listening to Jesus and you realize that God's way is far better than you could have ever dreamed. I hope that you are wanting God's will more than your own. I hope that can be true of all of us. I hope that it's true that we are eager for Jesus to lead us. But we have to evaluate ourselves. Get alone. Pray with the Father. Examine our own hearts. It's often my will that I want. And it's so hard to escape that selfishness. So where do I start? I really do want God's will to be done. But maybe I just don't want it enough. Where do we begin? I think we need to constantly remind ourselves. We can't just... If you say, oh, I really want to start running every day you got to put your shoes on, right? You can't just say it. So what if the first thing that you, that you did when you woke up in the morning was that you said, Lord, your will be done. But it's not just that moment that you say it. What if throughout the day you keep praying, you find yourself in line somewhere, you find yourself at work doing something, you find yourself in some type of interaction and you, and you pray silently, your will be done, Lord. Maybe you find yourself being more generous, being more gracious, being whatever, following Jesus in moments that you never even thought to follow Jesus in. And here's the thing about praying that God's will will be done. It's not just something that you pray and then sit back and you hope that you said the magic phrase and you hope you can watch it unfold before your eyes. Jesus said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then he followed the Father's will. He didn't just sit back and say, I sure hope your will is done. No, he took his cross and trusted the will of the Father, trusted that his death on the cross would be a victory over sin and death beyond all understanding. When you pray, your will be done, that means it changes the entire way that your day should go. Every single moment changes because you're saying, I want your will and not my will for this day, for this moment, for this interaction. And you trust him as you follow his way rather than your own. And so take time to pray today even in just the stillness of, of right now, to be still and ask God, what do I want? What is it that I want? 
Lord, give me your presence. Your will be done in my life. And I pray that his will be done in your life. Let us trust his will. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check the show notes for any scripture references. We will be posting up again next week. Our show is every Thursday at 7 a.m. wherever you hear your podcasts. Youth Group Radio. Peace out. Now there's a voice inside the air. Words come down. They haunt me.